Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Hey, well, I want to say a really big welcome to everybody who is joining us online today. And if this is your very first time to church, I am so glad that you've been able to tune in to Bright Church today. I hope that you guys are doing really well in this season that we're just kind of getting through right now, especially to all the parents that have been doing homeschooling. I know that it is not really easy to do the homeschool experience. In fact, you know, I have three kids and trying to teach three different year levels on the same day is just not that easy. I want to say a huge thank you, by the way, to all of the teachers that I know in this season are just just working so hard. Maybe if you know a teacher right now, you can even send him a text message and say, hey, thank you. I just think you're doing an outstanding job. Thanks for everything that you do, because this season has not been really easy for anyone, you know? And, and so, you know, I know that for me, trying to teach the three different year levels, uh, I, I got kids in different sitting in different rooms and, you know, some of them have computers and you know what it's like? It's like I, I go in and I kind of get them set up and they're they're on the computer and they're doing their work. And then I go back to do some of my own. I walk back in and I'm like, man, they've just lost focus. You know, I I tell you what a dead giveaway is for losing focus. YouTube. That's right. When YouTube is on, as soon as I walk in, I'm like, come on, what is that? What are you doing? Like, that's that's not work, you know. So anyway, you know, this is what it's like, you know, doing life at, at home. And that's been our experience. But one of the things that it has done is it's been able to create this great conversation that I've had with my kids. And truthfully, I ask my kids this kind of question all of the time. But I asked them, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, what do you want to be? You know, where is your life headed? You know, what do you think you want to do for a job when you grow up? And one of the reasons why I ask them what they want to do for a job when they grow up is because I feel like it gives the study some sense of purpose. Like if I can somehow connect what they're currently doing at home to that future destiny, then I feel like they might have a sense of purpose around their schoolwork and, and, and maybe it makes it just that little bit easier. I don't know. Look, I can tell you one thing is for sure, is that it is hard sometimes to find that distant purpose. It is hard sometimes to, to know what your purpose is in life. But I really believe that once you find it, it actually starts to change all the other decisions in your life. And so I want to do a message for you guys today uh, called Finding Purpose. And I'm going to read to you out of the book of Philemon. And Philemon is a book with no chapters. It's actually a letter written from the Apostle Paul to Philemon. It's actually quite short and it's only verses. So I'm going to start in verse 8. We're going to read all the way through to verse 21. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. They're very short. So this is what Paul says. He says, Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, 
is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And he finishes with this. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Wow. I mean, that is such a pointed letter. And Paul makes so many points towards Philemon in this letter. But one of the things that really stood out to me is that Paul says, I've become a father to this guy called Wonsimus. Now, I remember what it was like when I became a dad. I remember becoming a father. And one of the first things that we had to figure out is what we were going to call our children. Well, Sarah, she's better than this at me, I guess, because we went with all the names that she had chosen. I, I liked them too. And so we were trying to choose all of our kids' names. And when we were doing that, we always try to find out the meaning of a name because, you know, it kind of mattered to us. So we have three kids, Judah, Isaac, and Eliana. Judah's name means praise. And we liked that and we chose that. We felt Judah felt like a strong name. So we went with that. And then we had our, our second son. His name is Isaac. And, you know, Isaac's name, it actually means laughter. And so I remember even when we were having him dedicated and, and my pastor at the time, you know, he got up and he prayed this prayer over him and he gave us this word. He said, you know, this kid is going to want to make people laugh. He, he's going to be true to his name. He will make people laugh. And I tell you, that is exactly what Isaac is like. In fact, he wants to make people laugh all the time and he'll do anything he can to kind of crack you up. So, so Isaac is true to his name. And, and then we had our daughter and her name is Eliana. And Eliana's name means the Lord has answered my prayer. And that is 100% true because I think Sarah was praying that she would have a little girl. She wanted a daughter and the Lord answered her prayer and we called her Eliana. And so those are my kids' names. Now, if you have a name that doesn't really mean anything significant, don't too worry too much about that. But this is what I want to say. Names, they, they, they mean something. They do mean something. Name, names matter. And it's not just to us. In fact, names even matter to God. Now, in the ancient world, if you knew somebody's name, it was as if you knew their essence. Like you know everything about them. You know who they are. In fact, if you knew somebody's name, you knew their character, you knew their nature, what they were like, their personality, and more than that, believe it or not, but they thought that if you knew somebody's name, that you could, to a certain extent, understand their destiny, where they were headed in life. Wow, there is a lot in a name. And so, as I said, names, they meant something in the ancient world. They mattered a lot. And they, they didn't just matter to the people and the culture. They mattered to God. And there have been moments, if you look through the Scriptures, and you see that God has changed people's names when there is a shift in their destination, when there is a shift in who they are, maybe in their identity as people. So, for example, let me, let me show you where it is. So if you read the Scriptures, you would see that there was a man named Abram 
and God changed his name to Abraham so as to fit with the destination that he was headed in life, his destiny. And if you read on, you'd see that there's another guy after him. His name was Jacob and he changed Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons, so were the 12 tribes of Israel. So he changed his name there. And if you look, even in the New Testament, Jesus did it too. I mean, Jesus had disciples and he had this one disciple whose name was Simon. And he changed his name to Peter because that was more fitting for who Peter was becoming. So see what I'm saying? Like names really do mean a lot to people. Well, Onesimus' name meant useful, which is kind of funny because Onesimus, the guy that we read about in this letter to Philemon, he was anything but useful. In fact, if you read it, honestly, he was kind of useless. So let me tell you a little bit about who Onesimus really was and we get a bit of a background to this because you don't necessarily see it leap off the page. But Onesimus was a slave and he worked for a slave master called Philemon. And they lived in a city that was in Colossae. And, and at some point in his experience of being a slave, if you read what commentators say, and I, I believe this as well, they say that Onesimus was likely to have stolen something of value, it might be money, whatever it was, but he stole something from Philemon. And he stole it and then he ran away. And so who is Onesimus? Well, he is a fugitive in Rome and he meets the Apostle Paul. And it just happens to be the case, could you believe it, that the Apostle Paul knew this guy Philemon. In fact, Philemon, let me tell you something about him. Philemon was a wealthy slave owner. Okay. And, and so he's a, here he is, this wealthy slave owner who had heard the gospel at some point from the apostle Paul. Now, if you're new to church and you don't know what the gospel is, let me explain it to you. I think the gospel is the most encouraging message that you could ever hear in your life. And even if you don't go to church and, and you don't know what all of this is like, if you and I were to sit down and have a genuine conversation, you would understand that you're not perfect. Well, those little mistakes that you make, the Bible refers to the mistakes that you make in life. They refer to that as sin and sin matters. So God sent Jesus to come from heaven to earth to pay the penalty for our sins. And He died on the cross. And anybody that believes that message and gives their life to Jesus will have all of their sins forgiven. They get a fresh start. They get a clean slate. And so at some point, Philemon has heard this message. Now, Paul was on this three-year missionary trip and he was in Ephesus at the time, which is roughly about 160 kilometers from where uh, Philemon was. But the message has made its way in some Somehow they've made some kind of connection. So now Paul writes this letter to Philemon and he's kind of playing the role of a mediator. He's mediating this relationship between a slave that stole from the master and the master's response to the slave. And what he's saying here in this letter is he's saying, this guy Wansimus that stole from you, his life has been dramatically transformed. And it has been transformed by the exact same gospel that changed and transformed your life. Yes, you've both been impacted and you have both been changed by this. And now he's sending Onesimus with this letter to Philemon, hoping, just hoping that Philemon will see that Onesimus has in fact changed, that he is a completely different person and that he'll forgive him. More than that, that he will set him free so that he can go back to Paul. That's, that's what Paul says. Now, this story that I'm reading to you today, this story is actually not unique. 
It's not unique. In fact, this is one of the most repeated patterns that you will see in the Bible. It happens over and over again. And the central theme that we see in this letter is the theme of redemption. Now, if you don't know what redemption means in the Hebrew language, the original language, whenever God would redeem anything, it means that He would buy it back and restore it to its originally intended and created purpose. And so that's what God wants to do. And I believe not just with one semester, and not just with others. He wants to do that with everyone that He can. So when we read this letter and we see that He wants to restore people back to their originally intended and created purpose, what do we know about Onesimus? Well, verse 11 tells us that, he's, that Paul says that once Onesimus was useless. And that's kind of funny because his name is useful. Maybe useful was who he was supposed to be, but he wasn't living the life that he was supposed to live. He was way off track. Now, I don't know Wansomus' mom or dad or who they were. We don't have any extra content. We don't know about it. But if I imagine this kind of conversation unfolding, you know, and, and you know, Wansomus' parents get together and, they, and, you know, they're like, what are we going to call this little baby? What are we going to call this child? And they're, they're thinking like, you know, well, well, you know, where do we see this kid going in life? You know, what's he going to do with his life? Will he be a builder? Will he be a painter? You know, what's he going to really do? Maybe they're trying to figure out what he is. Maybe they said something kind of like this. Well, you know what? Look, whatever he does in life, I just hope that he helps people around him, that he's just, he's just a really useful guy. Oh, oh, that's it. You know what? Let's call him Wansomus. That's what useful means. And so, I don't know. I, I made that up. But anyway, the, the point is, is that they called him Wansomus, but I can promise you this, that the one thing that they did not want their son to do was to be a runaway slave who stole from his master and is now a fugitive. No, they did not hope that that would be the life that their son would live. And I can tell you this, if they named Wansomus with intention, to say that he was useless is to say that he was living well below the purpose that they saw for him. He was living well below the purpose that they saw for him. And this is what I, I need you to, to understand. I believe that God has a purpose for everyone, a unique purpose for every single person. Now, if you are listening to this message today and you are not a Christian, you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. That's fine. I tell you that God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. But because you don't know God, you're just further from it. And so if you want to discover what God's purpose is for you, the reason why you exist on planet Earth, right? I would tell you that you need to go to your Creator. You need to go to God because He's the one that will help you find it. You know, years ago, I caught up with a friend of mine and my friend had this job where he would travel around to different sporting clubs and their focus was to improve the culture of the club. So the way that relationships happen, just making sure the right kind of levels of respect were there and helping clubs navigate some of the challenging issues that some football clubs and, and, and different sporting clubs can find, which is drugs and alcohol and that kind of a thing. So he would go in and do these talks and, and, and help them to become a better cultured club. So I asked him this question one day and I said, hey, why do you think it is that people turn to drugs and alcohol, or even especially, I asked within the context of his work, I said, what do you think young people do that? You know, why do you think this is an issue? 
And I always remember what he said. He said, the reason they turn to drugs and alcohol is because they have no purpose. They have no purpose. So if they have no purpose, they just do whatever they want and just move in any direction. And, and I'm telling you something. I think this is incredibly important. You need to know this. Getting off track is so easy. It's so easy for people to get off track if they have no sense of purpose. Even if you do know where you're headed in life, even if you have a sense of purpose, it's, it's actually really easy to do. And, and what does it mean when we get off track? What it often means, if I could say it this way, is I think it's when people misdirect their energy and they misdirect their talents and they misdirect their time. This skill, they have time, they have talents, they have abilities, right? But they just use them and they focus them in the wrong way, with the wrong objective in mind. And I think that this is so important that we see this as a repeated pattern, not just you know, in the, in the Bible and the Scriptures, but this is a repeated pattern that we even see in our lives today. I mean, how many people do you know that have ended up on the wrong track because they have misdirected their time or their skill or their talent or their energy? They didn't know where they were going and they just went in the wrong direction. Now, the reason why I'm telling you all of this is because I think that getting on track is just as easy. If getting off track misdirects your energy and your focus, getting on track redirects it. And so that's the thing that we need to do in life. If we want to get back on track with where we're going, if we want to go the right direction, we need to redirect our energy and redirect our time and start to make a turn, make a decision in our life. And I think that this is incredibly hopeful for parents, especially who have maybe kids that have feel like they've walked away from God. Or even if you're watching this, you're not a Christian, but you just think, you know what? I'm just concerned about my kids just walking in the wrong direction or being around the wrong influences. I'm telling you this today, that change happens when they just redirect their energy and focus. Now, I know I made it sound kind of simple and I know it's not always that simple, but when change happens, this is what we see. And this happens so many times today. And if you look through the Scriptures, you'll see it happened a lot of times in the Bible. Let me give you some great examples. There was a guy called Matthew in the Bible and he worked at a tax booth. So he collected taxes. And you know, I tell you, people didn't really like the tax collectors. And I'll tell you why in a moment, but people didn't really like the tax collectors. And so, you know, he has this encounter with Jesus. He leaves his job, changes his life, and he becomes a disciple of Jesus who ends up writing scripture. I mean, that is pretty remarkable. I mean, it wasn't just Matthew that had this happen to him. In fact, there was another guy. His name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is what we would call a chief tax collector. And people did not like the chief tax collectors. And I'll tell you why. Because what they used to do is, is they would buy the tax debts from Rome. And when they got the tax debts, they would charge those tax debts to the people, but they'd put on a little bit of a margin or sometimes a big margin onto those tax debts. And the people, the Jewish people, they never knew how much the tax debt was worth, but they knew that they were getting ripped off by their own people. And so they hated that they were being ripped off by tax collectors. And so here is Jesus spending time with this guy Zacchaeus. And what happens to Zacchaeus? 
if you read the story, he has an encounter with, with Jesus and his life is totally transformed. And if you read towards the end of the, the whole story about him, he ends up becoming this incredibly generous person, giving away all of his money. I mean, Jesus is in the business of redirecting and transforming people's lives. They thought they had a purpose in one area and he shifts it to another. Consider Paul, the guy that even wrote this letter that we are reading today. I mean, Paul was on the road to Damascus and he was looking to kill a whole heap of Christians or at least put them in prison. I mean, he was really serious about his job. And so here comes Paul and he has this encounter with Jesus. And what happens? He ends up becoming a Christian. You know, his life is different. And he writes all of these scriptures, the ones that we're even reading today, he wrote these because his life was transformed by an encounter with Jesus. See, the point that I'm making is that there are so many people that meet Jesus and find new life and find new purpose. And it was no different for Wonsimus. No different for him. This next part is very important that you see. It wasn't until Wonsimus encountered the gospel, that very encouraging message I just told you about, it wasn't until Wonsimus encountered the gospel that he could fulfill his purpose. Did you notice what Paul said? He said, formerly, he was useless to you, living outside of his purpose, well below his purpose, well below his destiny. But he has an encounter with the gospel. He has an encounter with Jesus and there is a transformation that happens. And what did Paul say? Oh, now he's actually useful. Now he's back on track. Now he's actually living out what he was always supposed to live out. And if you get anything out of this message, please let it be this. If you want to find your purpose, follow Jesus. It's that simple. If you want to find your purpose, I mean, the one that God has for you, and you can fill your life with all kinds of purpose things, you know, and I'm not saying they're all meaningless, but if you want to really know why you're here, why you exist, why God created you, you need to be a follower of Jesus. And it's in the context of that relationship that who you really are starts to come out. Now, let me explain something because I don't know who's watching this today. So if you think that the reason you exist is simply because of the biology between your mom and your dad and, you know, they got together and now here you are, you know, I, I tell you that is not true. God always knew that you would exist. He knew you would be here. He knew you'd be even listening to this message right now. And I tell you, He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And since He's the one that created you and He's the one that designed you and He's the one that made you and He knows all of your history, but He knows what He can do with your future, you're the, you need to go to Him in order to discover who He really wants you to be. You know, one of the things that I love to do with my kids is we love to build Lego, you know? And, and, and we love to do it together until we get towards the end and then it's really my project, okay? But, you know, it's, we start, it starts off really nice. Anyway, the point is, is that if we ever go to the shops, we get a Lego and we bring it back and we open the box and, and we tip out the Lego, it comes with a couple of things, okay? All the pieces and then there's this bit of paper that slides out and that's the plan. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the Lego movie, right? But in that, they have these guys called master builders. And master builders can see all the pieces and they just know what to build, right? Well, I tell you, I am not. I am not a master builder, okay? 
So if I just took all the pieces out and saw them all over the table and I just start building whatever I want without even looking at the end picture or without even looking at the instructions along the way, I am telling you, I will build nothing that is even close to resembling what it's supposed to be. And that is what it's like for us in life. See, what happens is sometimes we just see the pieces and the elements of our life and we start to scrape it together and we say, I think it's meant to look like this. No, there is a plan. There is a design. There is intention. And if you want to know what it is, you need to be a follower of Jesus. Now, please don't get anxious about the sea of possibilities that could be your purpose and start to think, oh my gosh, like am I even living this life right now? Like what if if I'm meant to be doing something else? Don't even worry about that. This is what I tell you to do. Just keep following Jesus. Just keep following Jesus. Because Jesus knows what you need to become who He is shaping you to be. He knows who to place in your life. He knows what experiences you need. He knows the problems that you need to face in order to shape you and mold you and create you into the person that He wants you to be. Don't don't worry about all of the, you know, what do I need to do and where should I be? And and don't worry about that. Just, Just keep following Jesus and allow the journey to begin to unfold. Now, I want to tell you something about God that I absolutely love. One of the things I love most about God is that He can change, not just your destiny, but He can change your reputation. He can change what you're known for. You know, when I was growing up, you know, I I have a typical story like so many people. You know, as a kid, I went to church and and then in my teenage years, I was really far from God. I was 21 years old and I walked into a church, recommitted my life and and my life was different. Now, when I recommitted my life, at that time, I was working with this incredible group of people, great bunch of friends at my work. And they saw me transition from who I was to who I was becoming. And so I remember I went and I told them, I said, you know, I'm going to church now. And they said, what? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everything's different. Well, I could tell them whatever I want, but they just had to wait to see it happen. So a couple of weeks later, one of the girls that I worked with, she said, hey, so you, you still doing all that church stuff? I said, yeah, I told you, I'm different, I'm, I'm, I'm changed. And she was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. A couple of weeks later, she said, hey, so tell me, are you still going? I mean, are you still doing all the stuff? Are you, are you not doing those things, but you are doing some of these things? Like, are you still doing all that church stuff and, and, and that God stuff? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I, I told you I'm different. I mean, she just kept asking over and over because it was hard for her to imagine that an encounter with Jesus could actually transform a person that much. But, but that story is the most repeated pattern in the Bible. Not just the Bible, it's the most repeated pattern we see in people's lives today. Billions of people have had their life transformed by the power of Jesus. And if I look at Wansimus' story, look at who he is. Look what happened to him. He was useless living below his purpose and he became useful. He was a thief and he became incredibly honest. I mean, he had to be to own up to all of these things and eventually go back and, and face his master. He was a sinner and he became a saint. And when I say that he became a saint, I don't mean that because of his honesty, he became a saint. No, that was something that Jesus gave to him. It was his encounter with Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and everything that God did to him that made him a saint. So in that way, I'm telling you that his life was totally transformed 
But I want to asterisk this and say it takes time for people to see it. I mean, you can say anything you want, but it takes time for people to see it. And here's something that Jesus said about this. He said, you will know my disciples by how they love one another. Now, love is not something you can just witness as an event. It's the way that they would interact over time that indicated to everyone around them, wow, they must be Jesus' disciples. Look at how they love one another. In other words, what I'm saying is, it is fruit over time. What is the fruit that you bear in your life? And it is that fruit over time that starts to convince people, wait, 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 wait. Maybe you really are different. Maybe you really are changed. I wasn't sure if you were at the beginning, but here we are years later and, and you just keep changing and, and, and I keep seeing these things in your life. Now, this is so important because... Onesimus is going to Philemon and it's very important that Philemon sees that Onesimus has changed because under ancient law, the penalty for stealing from your master was death. That is a heavy price to pay for your honesty to go back and face your master and, and, and explain everything. So it's incredibly important that Philemon sees that Onesimus has totally changed. But one of the things that indicates that he's changed is the fact that he's owning up to it. I mean, look at the story. The only reason the Apostle Paul knows any of this is because at some point, Onesimus has changed his direction. He's been completely honest about where he is. And I love this because owning up is not the same thing as getting caught. In this story, Onesimus, he never got caught. He owned up and that is a sign of maturity. And that is an indicator that he has got, undergone at least some kind of transformation because the thief that stole and ran has somehow changed to be a guy that's honest and comes back. That indicates some level of change. And, and the truth is, I don't know if Philemon saw Onesimus as his brother in Christ, as Paul says. I, I don't know if Philemon actually got to the point where he could believe that Onesimus was completely transformed by the gospel and in fact that he was a Christian. We really don't know the answer to that question. You know, the truth is sometimes people are only going to see you through the lens of your past. It's true. It's like you're trying to make all these changes, but they're all on the inside. People can't even see it. Sometimes even when the change makes its way from the inside to the outside, people only see who you used to be. And it's important to understand that because it can have a profound impact on your identity and your relationships. I mean, gosh, no one understands this better than Paul. Remember I just told you that Paul was on the road to Damascus. He has this encounter with Jesus. Well, he was on his way to arrest and kill some Christians, okay? And here he is, and he starts going into church and preaching the gospel. You know what it's like. I mean, all of these guys, come on now. Like, you're going to tell me you would be so different. They're like, hey, this is the guy that was about to kill us. This is the guy that wants to take us out. Like, I'm not so sure I trust him. I'm not so sure I trust that he has changed. No one understood this better than Paul. It was hard for people to believe that he had shifted and completely changed his theology and everything he believes about God. It's not just the same for Paul. It's the same for so many people. In fact, you know, a couple years ago, I ran into somebody at a shopping center, a girl I used to be friends with like years earlier. And I really hadn't seen her since, you know, my, my late teenage, early 20s days. 
And so we were talking for a little bit, and I guess, you know, maybe I have some of the same mannerisms, but she said something really pointed. She said, you know what? She goes, you haven't changed one bit. And I heard those words and I thought, you know, that's not true. It's not true at all. I've changed so much. I am not the person I used to be. You can say whatever you want, but I am not that person anymore. And you know, maybe she said that because we hadn't spent enough time together, but here's what I honestly think. If, if that person was to spend more time with me, maybe they'd see the evidence of the change. And over time, it would start to convince them that I've changed, that I'm a different person. This is the point. If you're making a change in your life, you need to be consistent. You need to keep doing it. I want you to remember that your identity is not in the mouths of other people's opinions. People can say what they like. No, your identity, once you're a Christian, is in who Christ says you are. It's in everything that Jesus says you are. In fact, I want to read a scripture to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. And this is what Paul says about people who have made the transition and are changing from one person to another. He says this in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded even Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, and listen to this, if anyone is in Christ, that means that you have become a Christian. If you are in Christ, behold, or it says, He is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the point that Paul's making. New Christians are new creations with new life and new purpose. That's what it is. You know, as I read this story about Onesimus, one of the things that kind of made sense to me is that there was always the possibility that Onesimus could become this person. It was always there. The, the potential for him to become a Christian, it was always there. But here's what it took. It took someone to see it and help him and mentor him and step in and mediate from his old life, helping him to transition through to his new life. And it really helps to have someone like that in your life. It, it really helps to have someone that helps to fix your, your relationships out there if you feel like you've made a mistake. In fact, Paul, Paul went way beyond just trying to mediate and, and saying, hey, we think that he's changed or I believe that he's changed. He said, no, no, if you can, could you send him back to me? And I don't know if you saw this or not, but when I read that, I just thought, man, once of us is even called to ministry. Here's Paul in his imprisonment and he needs help, someone to help him do ministry. 
He sends one summons back to Philemon and he says, if it's okay, if you could forgive him, could you please send him back to me? I mean, I would prefer to keep him, but I don't want to force you to do it. I want it to be your choice, but I would like to remind you of the life change that I brought into your life. So if you uh, have anything that he owes you, charge that to my account. And if you can send him back to me because I need one summons to do some ministry, he was called to ministry. The runaway thief that stole from his master and was a fugitive encounters Jesus. And now suddenly we find he has a ministry call on his life. What is that? That is misdirected energy. That is misdirected time. That is misdirected focus. But all of that shifted and now it's pointed in the right direction. And Paul says, come on, I can do some ministry with this guy. You know what I think? I think we've got a world full of people that have unredeemed ministry calls and gifts in their life. And I don't believe that everyone is called to full-time ministry in that sense that they work for a church. But everyone is called to full-time ministry in the sense that you use your gifts, your talents, your time, your energy, you focus it and you direct it towards something that God has for you in your life. That's what it means to have a life of purpose, to be living out your call and to be doing everything that God wants you to do. And, and maybe you are one of those people that just got off track. And I... I'm telling you right now, if you are not a Christian, listen, I don't want to offend you, but you can't be on the track because the track is with God. So if you don't have any relationship with God, then, then I'm saying there's something else for you. But I want to say something just to Christians even. Maybe you're a Christian, you had a close relationship with God, but you realized that your track started to depart. Now you've started to move in a different direction. Maybe even though you go to church every week, you just know. Somewhere in your Noah, that you're not living out the life that God has for you. You can make a change. You don't have to stay on the same track that you're on right now. This, this next part, this is incredibly important. Once we needed this mediator to help him get on track, and I tell you the truth, you have a mediator that is so much better than the Apostle Paul. You have a mediator who stepped into the gap, not just for you, but for all of humanity that took our punishment, that paid the price for our mistakes and says, I will give you new life. His name is Jesus. He says, I will give you fresh purpose and hope. And I tell you right now, wherever you are and however you're encountering this message today, whether you are on a bus, on a train, you might be on your way to work. Maybe you are sitting on your couch right now. I tell you, He's closer than hands and feet. He's in the space right now that's all around you. He knows everything that's going through your heart and everything that's going through your mind. And this is what He says. He says, I can change your reputation. I can change your life. I can give you a fresh hope, a fresh start. I can fill your life with purpose. And all you need to do, <laughs> all you need to do is just give your heart to Jesus. When I say give Him your heart, I mean, if your heart is the decision maker for all other decisions, then if you give Him your heart first, then everything else, your time, your energy, your focus, your talents, your abilities, everything else just starts to fall in line. And this is so important because this is the only way, this is the only way that you can find and live out the purpose that God has for you. It's 
right now. Right now. He can be changing your life right now. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for people today that are hearing this message and say, you know what? It's true. My life is not on the right track. I I know I've departed. You might be a Christian and you're saying, "I, I need to come back. I need to come back, make Jesus the center of my life, give my heart to Him so all my energy and my, you know, everything starts to flow in the right direction. Maybe you're a non-Christian. You, you just you, you don't even know what you believe about God. You don't know what you think about church. I'm telling you right now, you are not the product of biology. God loves you. He cares about you. There is a purpose, a hope, a future for you, but you've got to first become a follower of Jesus. So how about if we said one prayer for both people? What if we just do this? Why don't we just say, that we're going to make Jesus the center of our lives. That you'll follow Him. You'll do what He says. And, and, you're, and you'll receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you're a Christian, you've already done that, but you're just saying again, hey, I'm, I'm recommitting my time, my energy, my focus, my whole heart. I'm giving it to you fresh today. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray and I'm going to lead that prayer. And if you want to say this prayer, then you just repeat after me. And, and, and you just say the same words that I do and, and we'll just do this whole thing together, all right? So let's do that. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. And I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. Give me a fresh start. Fill my life with your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.